Okay, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a verse that we've probably heard before, especially if we've been in a church environment for a while. It's something that Christians in general quote quite a lot. It's called the Great Commission. So clearly this is something that we should be paying attention to, that we need to be sitting up and taking notice of. But it's not always something that's fully explained. And unless we're involved in ministry of some kind, and maybe not even then, it might not actually be something we know how to do. So I'm going to try and tackle a brief look into that this morning. So what is discipleship? Why is it important? And how do we actually do it? Or maybe I should say, how did Jesus actually do it? So 20 minutes or so isn't a huge amount of time to be able to do that in, but hopefully it will give you a little bit of a taste or a spark and interest for you to be able to pursue it on your own or maybe live it out in your daily lives. So first, let me clarify what I mean by discipleship. In the most broad sense of the word, disciple is somebody who follows and helps spread the doctrine of another person. So discipleship would be the process where they learn what they need to know and then how to spread the message so they can go out there and do it. I want to narrow our definition this morning down a little bit. I'm speaking, as you have hopefully guessed, specifically about being disciples of Jesus. But I'm also talking about personal discipleship, so a one-on-one relationship with somebody to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. So when I talk about discipling, I mean that we're simply there to help somebody else become a disciple of Jesus. Let me give you an example of discipleship from my own life and childhood to hopefully help paint a bit of a picture of what discipleship could look like. So in my family unit, I have a mum and a dad and a brother and a sister And as a family, we were not Christians. Uh, We didn't go to church unless my nan was visiting us. And the concept of God was just not one that was talked about or thought about. And it just wasn't a part of our lives. But then from the age of 10, I had a best friend called Sophie, who is still my best friend. And her parents, Nick and Joe were both involved in ministry at a church and are very faithful, very loving Christians. Now, Sophie and I, when we were younger, were both a little bit fiery and we argued a lot. But even in those times when we didn't see each other as friends, Nick and Joe were always constants in my life. They invited me to church with them And when I decided I actually liked church, they committed to taking me every week. When they changed churches, they took me with them. And even when at Jo's first ever event that she attended as the new assistant pastor of a church, and I made some poor choices and really humiliated her in front of all the church leadership, they still took me every week. So that shows some of the love and commitment that they were showing me. And then as Sophie and I joined the youth group and went to Soul Survivor and began to really believe for ourselves, whenever I had questions or my faith was shaken 
or I needed to be challenged in something, they were always there to chat it through with me, to support me and love me, and most importantly, to point me back to God. Then when Sophie and I decided that we would run the Christian Union at our high school, They were there to teach us and to give us advice and to pick us back up when we failed, which we did many times. It could be a coincidence, but I think it's far more likely down to the intentional relationship that they showed us that Sophie and Sophie's sister and myself have all committed our lives to trying to show the love of God to other people the way that Nick and Joe showed us. So have you ever had anybody in your life that has shown that kind of commitment, who's had a lasting impact on your faith, someone that's been there consistently guiding you back to God? Maybe it was a few different people at different stages in your life, and maybe you haven't had that. But if you have, even if the word was never used, this might be a picture of what discipleship could look like. So that's what I mean in general, by discipleship. But why is discipleship important? We've already noted the Great Commission, but even more than doing what Jesus asks us to do, which is super important, discipleship is doing what Jesus actually did. He doesn't ask us to blindly follow his instructions. He shows us how to do it. We can use his life as our example. So if we had three and a bit years of public ministry to convince the world that we were the son of God, that God had a plan to save the world and has sent us to carry it out. How would we go about convincing people? Personally, I would spend all day, every day, doing miracles and giving proof that God's power is in me. I'd go to the cities and teach all the crowds and then I'd do some more miracles in the evening. But Jesus, while he does do a lot of this, He does perform miracles. He does teach the crowds. He is still much more intentional about the way that he spends his time than we might be. So much of his time is spent specifically with the 12. And at times, he tells a parable or he performs a miracle, but it's only the disciples that are privy to that explanation or get to be involved in actually performing the miracle. I really believe that this was because Jesus was using discipleship relationships with the 12 to build a movement, not just a ministry. And by this, I mean that he didn't simply want to reach the people in the area and the community around him. He wanted to reach the entire world for generations. And he actually did it. He built the foundation of this movement that we are a product of right here, right now, on 12 men. So if you think about the tiny proportion of people that are in the world that we actually make up, it's not a huge amount. But then you think about all the different churches across Aylesbury, across England, across the world. That movement was built on 12 men that Jesus discipled. So how did he actually do it? So this model that I'm going to look at was developed by looking at Jesus' life and the time that he spent with his disciples. But some of the language that I'm going to use is based on a book called Four Chair Discipling by someone called Dan Spader, 
So if you wanted to look a bit more deeply at this, it's a simple book explaining their view on Jesus' strategy for discipleship. It's a little bit Americanized, so just beware. The model looks at the years of Jesus' public ministry, and it uses a harmony of the Gospels to help understand the timeline in which things happened. So for anybody that might not know what a harmony of the Gospels is, it's just a book that compares each of the Gospels and their own timelines to try and build up a clearer picture of when certain events happened throughout the Gospels and throughout that three and a half-ish years of Jesus' ministry. And that can help us to see how Jesus invested his time with the disciples. So Jesus presented the disciples with four key invitations throughout his time with them, hence the four chairs. Each one of those invitations was intentional in the commitment and the growth that it was asking for. And the idea of the chairs is simply to help us visualize where people are on their journey with God, so that when we come across somebody in our life, we can start thinking about which chair they might be on and how we can move them to the next one. So the first chair is an invitation to come and see. The second chair is an invitation to follow me. The third chair is an invitation to be fishers of men. And the fourth and final chair is an invitation to go and bear fruit. Jesus presented the disciples with these challenges or invitations. They're so simple, but they're so effective. And the model suggests that each of these invitations is for people in a specific stage of their journey with God. So the first invitation, the invitation to come and see, this is for the lost, for those people who don't know God, those people who are seeking something If we were to offer those people to come and join in ministry with us, they would probably want to run for the hills. So we can see that each invitation is given at the right time and asks for the right level of commitment that's appropriate given where people are in their relationship with God. The invitation to come and see is simply asking somebody to show up just to come and take a look. It's a really low commitment. So how do we offer that invitation? It could be something as simple as, come and have dinner with my family. It could be inviting them to a visitor service. All we're asking for is for someone to show up. We don't need to worry if they don't take us up on this. That's up to them. We can just be willing to offer that invitation. So the second invitation is, follow me. Once someone who has been asking and finding out about Jesus has begun to believe, this is when we can offer that opportunity to follow. So this step would be for believers. It's asking for more of a commitment. It's asking somebody to learn, to come and walk a new path that is going to lead them towards becoming more like Christ. And it's a bigger commitment for us as well allowing somebody to walk with us and to become a part of our lives and us to become a part of theirs, to love someone in the way that Christ loved us. In John, we see Jesus and the disciples at a wedding together and spending time together before it then says in John 2.12, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. They stayed there for a few days. 
So the disciples were at a big event with Jesus, and then they're joining his family and spending time with him and building relationships. Jesus is inviting the disciples into his life. Jesus then goes to Jerusalem for the Passover, and we see that the disciples are with him because they're mentioned in those verses. And after that, John then says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Jesus knew that this invitation to follow was built on relationship, built on time and experience with one another. So that's what we can try and do in this step, invite people into our lives and walk alongside of them to build authentic relationships where they can begin to learn about Jesus through spending time with us. The next invitation is to become fishers of men. This is saying, it's your turn. Try this out for yourself. This invitation is for a worker, somebody who is willing to step out and join in with what Jesus is doing. When we see Jesus offer this invitation in the beginning of Mark, it might lead us to think that this is the first time that Jesus met Simon, Peter, and Andrew, that they just dropped their nets for someone that they've never met before and left. But actually, when we look at the harmony of the Gospels, uh, it is possible that uh, this is a little while into Jesus' public ministry already, and that Simon Peter and Andrew know about Jesus and possibly have been uh, learning from him for a little while. So it's not a completely blind invitation. This is where Jesus is challenging them to go deeper with him, moving from following to doing, doing ministry with him, becoming fishers of men. Jesus brings the 12 alongside him to do ministry, and he gives them the opportunity to actually do the things that he has been showing them for themselves. What could this look like for us? Could it be inviting to some, someone to come to church and join us in the ministry team that we serve on? Could it be encouraging somebody to offer that first invitation to just come and see? The fourth and final invitation, go and bear fruit. This is saying it's your turn to make disciples the way that I have done with you. This is the chair of the disciple maker, somebody who is ready and willing to build authentic and intentional relationships to help someone walk towards becoming more like Christ and imitate imitate that model of discipleship. To be able to make somebody who makes to be able to make a disciple who is then in turn able to go and make more disciples. When Jesus tells his disciples to go and bear fruit, he starts by calling them friends. They're not just steps in a plan. They have a deep relationship with Jesus. In John 15:15 15, 15, it says, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. We are invited into this deep friendship with Jesus to learn from him. And then we are released to go and do as he did, to go and bear fruit. And it says specifically, fruit that will last. Each of these invitations is relational, but it's also intentional. 
Can you see the impact that could have if all of us in this room committed to making disciples who would make other disciples? Or even if it's just you. If you made three disciples in your whole life, and they made three disciples, and they made three disciples, in just three cycles of discipleship, that's 39 people reached. I want to be a part of that movement. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. To see not just one person or one community changed, but generations changed by Jesus. If I could ask Dan to come back up and play as we lead into a ministry time. So the Bible tells us that we are called to go and make disciples. We can use Jesus' life as our example and our model. And we can do this by offering those four invitations to somebody in our life that God leads us to disciple, to come and see, to follow me, to be fishers of men, to go and bear fruit. And by doing this, we can become a part of his movement that Jesus started to reach generations of people with his love. So as we listen to the music and just before we move into the ministry time, I would love if we could sit with God and ask this question. Who in our lives could we be discipling? And if as you're asking God that question and it doesn't feel like there is anybody, ask God to bring somebody into your life, to reveal somebody to you that you could be starting this discipleship relationship with.